Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Today, we've got a very important task. We're going to fix F1. Because F1's broken, right? It's in the dirt, and only Missed Apex and its listeners can save it. I mean, it isn't, but we complain most about the things we love, right? Okay, so let's complain constructively. I have, in the palm of my hands, 50 tweets from you guys suggesting how to fix F1. Of course, we won't get through all of them because we have a very strict one-hour time limit on this show. But I've been watching F1 a long, long time. And as far as F1 regulations go, I have lived many lives and served many masters. I preached on the altar of grooved tyres, whilst others threw shoes at me for saying such things. I stood on the protest lines against refuelling. I stood shoulder to shoulder with Enzo Ferrari at the increasing dominance of aerodynamics. Okay, I, I am a bit young for that one, but I was definitely right there in the trenches in 2014 when people were complaining about lap times and the, and then being very close to, to F2. I said, no, please, it's okay. Let them find their way. But we lost that fight and that led to the 2017 regulations. The worst regulations in F1 history were released that prioritised aero, aero, aero. And every single person on this panel is shaking their head at me on the Zoom call at everything I've just said. But look, I have... A passion for F1. I love F1. I live F1. But I have opinions. So let's yell them at the internet. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before our Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by plucky young commentator Chris Stevens. Chris, is F1 broken? 
Oh, Spanners, I'm I'm so mad. I'm so mad. Oh, I'm F1 gone. is so broken and it's terrible. And I hate waking up on a Sunday knowing I have to watch F1. Terrible F1. I, Against I, my I will. <laughs> I choose to watch it and I hate it. No, it's fine. I love it still. It, it's, bro- it's broadly fine and we love it. But yes, yeah, social media yeah. will social media. It's a fun way to ask you know, what would we do differently in F1? And it's certainly better than the recent trend of admins of F1 accounts going, here's an inane question. What do you think about this inane question? Exactly. Mm. Uh, Here's a vague statement, but uh, passionate answer. Okay. And we're also joined in the shed uh, by another Chris, Chris Four, Chris Catman Turner. How's it going, Chris? Is F1 broken well i've just bought tickets to next year's british grand prix so i really hope it's not broken because i spent a lot a lot of money going to it so look look at you the one percent i looked at the ticket prices and went no i i think i could probably fly to you know to like kota and 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 have a cheaper f1 experience yeah well look at it like this i haven't been since 2014 and i thought actually the the regulations and the racing as it is, I think it's about time I went back. So, no, I don't think it's broken at all. And we have on the panel as well, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Alex Jeansy, is F1 broken? It is, but only if you are a fan of a driver or a team and that driver or team isn't doing very well. Um, other than that, no. If we get rid of one particular team, F1's blooming brilliant. Okay, so I think it's fair to say there's been a lot of complaints because of the, the domination and there's been a lot of chat around saying, well, has has the the decrease in social media interaction in F1 and a slight drop, but not a tragic drop in viewership been caused by by the dominance? And it's something we see reflected in our figures all the time. We see a peak in the European season and if if the title has been decided or it looks like uh, one driver is going to disappear with it, the numbers do tend to go down. And it's it's fairly natural. If you're an Alonso fan and you go, this is the season he returns for his third, and then it gets to the Hungarian Grand Prix and he's out of it, you might be less inclined to, less inclined to watch each and every single race or listen to each and every single podcast review. But what we're asking at its fundamental core, before we set about our answers to fix F1 Catman, is basically, is is there a problem to to fix right now? It's a very difficult one to answer because the social media question is a bit of an odd one because that's obviously been on the rise a lot in the last few years. So could you say that actually it's to do with them being more active on social media, more mentions on social media because F1's embraced social media more recently and it's nothing to do with the fact that it's, you know, that rise around Lewis's and Max's title battle and the change of regulations, you know, was that actually to do with that or was it to do with just the rise in general? And we've had a, a dip because, as you said, the dominance has just completely de- destroyed the the battle at the front to yeah. the casual viewer. Casual viewer, Max is going to win no matter where he starts. But actually, if you look behind Max, the battles are very interesting. And actually, there's not one team that's come up. Look at when McLaren started this year to where they are now. It's fascinating. The problem you've got with the casual fans that have joined mainly because of Drive to Survive is that they a lot of them joined in 2021. 
which, as far as a battle for the championship is concerned, is one of the best battles for a championship we've ever yeah, had. Yeah, that's true. As far as, as, far as um, excitement goes and not knowing who's going to win, and then to all of a sudden have that completely switch and go to the other end of the spectrum, which is total domination, other people who've just kind of tuned yeah. in and just kind of got their juices wet with it have gone, oh, maybe this isn't what I wanted to watch um you know and that's no one's fault that's not even the sport's fault because i still believe these new regulations are good um it's just one driver and one team got it very Nailed very it. very right so uh, you know i am something something years old uh, an upsetting amount of years old now as it happens and most of the years that i've watched formula one have actually been like this so i i've tended to kind of accept that yes, you have these these great battles, and then someone ends up dominating. So you know you go okay, well you know it was very exciting in the the early two thousands, and and then and then suddenly Ferrari get this grip, and and you ride that out. And as a young man, that was very hard to to ride out. The Schumacher dominance in the Ferrari was was depressing, and I would say that that's the last time we saw dominance like that from one driver and and one team but even as sebastian vettel kind of had his claws in into the f1 one one championship yes he won four in a row but there there was a little bit of you know back and forth he had he had challenge from his teammate and four other drivers you know in in 2010 and it was kind of open again in uh, in 2012 it came down to the final season and uh, and then 2013 they disappeared off so that dominance was hard to swallow but it was like well We've done that before. We know that F1 kind of goes backwards and forwards and it swings one way or the other. And it's that point that it swings from one team to another team where you get these fantastic 2010, 2012 type seasons. And even, I'll go to Alex first here, sorry. Uh, even in the Mercedes dominance, 2012 to 2016, we were enthralled with the the Hamilton-Rosberg battle. Then Ferrari got in there in, in 17 and 18. But I will admit... 2019 and 2020 were were probably as as quote unquote dull as 2022 and 2023 as when it comes to dominance there was never really any doubt that it was only Lewis Hamilton that was winning those titles so there's kind of a very specific type of championship that gets people going oh this is boring I'm I'm not interested from a championship point of view yeah so you know after um Alonso ended Schumacher's dominance he had two years where he won the title they weren't boring years it was close the whole way through then you had um the 07 which was close 07 and 08 which was close between McLaren and Ferrari and then when you get to 2009 you had a whole new team turn up and cause a, a spectacular yeah. um, occurrence with the way they took over the season um 2010 in Abu Dhabi was the only time Sebastian Vettel Sebastian Vettel led the championship you know, he hadn't led the championship the entire that season and then is, won it on the, on the last on the last race. Um, you know, and then there was bits of domination through his time winning the championship, but there was also Weber nicking points from him, and the McLarens were good, and the Ferraris were good, and at times the um, Force India was even good back in those days. Um, and everyone was nicking points off of each other. No one actually ran away with it. Um, and no one ever really ran away with it again until, as you say, 19 and 20, uh, when Lewis did. Yeah. But then the difference was Mercedes don't Mercedes looked like a well-oiled machine through that period. But 
when you compare them to how well-oiled a machine Red Bull has been these past two years, they haven't got a, haven't got anything on 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 Red Bull Mercedes. No, Red Bull. Have you been, know, yeah. Red Bull have just been absolutely at least with one car point perfect on every single call. No failures. All nothing, right. Do you no know what? issues. You couldn't get through that without a Perez dig. So I'm swinging over to Chris. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the 2020 season was really saved by the fact that we were going to a lot of new circuits and therefore there was a bit of unpredictability and a bit there was a bit of chaos induced to that year. Yeah, it was and, the, and also COVID. COVID so anything was a, a blessed relief from our one exercise a day that we exactly. were allowed to. Yeah. But I think what hasn't helped in this case is the sheer number of races we have now. Because you used to get a two-week, maybe a three-week break between races now we're tuning in almost every weekend for for an intense period of of 10 months to watch the same thing happening again basically whereas b- before when you had that break you could you know in, in, enjoy yeah. a break from formula 1 for a little bit and then even then you know the races seemed a bit more special there was a bit more of an occasion to it, it was more of an so event so it's more relentless now isn't it like yes okay so well, you, you next you, year especially yeah. so my you, god yeah. so you had to watch Schumacher dominate 16 races now you have to watch Verstappen dominate 2023 catman I was going to say, is it a case of saturation? Is there too many races? There's too many sprint no, races. No, this is interesting. Go on. I was going to say, you know, I, I'm having to, you know, watch qualifying on a Friday evening when I get home from work and then spend time away from the family on Saturday to watch a race and then a qualifying session as well. And then 24 races in a year. It's just got too much. Back in our day, Spanners, there was 10, 12 16 races in a year you know it was ridiculous and actually you could have a life outside of formula one whereas now we live f1 is becoming more and more of a a a mantra we just don't get a chance to miss it you know to go oh when's the next race i really want the next race to happen you know it's now as you say relentless is the right thing you know we're going to be at 24 races next year there's only 52 weeks in a year Mm. it's nearly half the year has f1 in it and you know if i was a single guy living on my own it wouldn't be a problem because I would be the master of my own universe and do whatever <laughs> I want. But when you have a family and you have kids and you have commitments, yeah. you know, today we had a family thing. It was somebody in the family's birthday. There is no chance in hell I'd have been able to watch a Grand Prix if it was at the normal times today, you know, because I was out doing family <laughs> stuff, which is what right. the kind of things you have to do. But if it's only 15, 16 times a year, you can get away with those things. So oh, I think one thing that F1 is having to contend with now is just the pace of media and viewer expectations has changed. And the example I always point at is ET. So if you are, you know, me, Alex and uh, and Catman's age, ET was a spectacle. It was like the greatest sci-fi movie. Yeah, ET phone home, the the finger, everything. It was so good. But go back and watch ET now. ET is dull it takes too long it takes forever nothing happens for vast swathes of that film that would be considered an awful awful movie now and and that's what we have to kind of redefine when we say oh but it was ever thus f1's always had periods of domination okay that's great but the landscape is changing so if you're f1 chris you can't just go well people who are 40 enjoyed et Therefore, we can just do everything like we did in the 80s and 90s. Well, it's, it's no Terminator 2, let's put it that way. Uh, but I also just want to say... There as is, a single there is man, one chip left and it's in my head. 
as a single man, it's still too much F1. It just is. There's too much of it. Next year, there's going to be only January without a competitive Formula One session on. It will run from February through to okay. December, and that is too much. Okay, just, I just, just, just shush slightly because as an F1 podcaster, I who monetizes an F1 podcast, that's that is actually broadly fine for me. So if we could okay, get some yeah. races in January as well. Ooh, that would be kind of cool. Uh, Alex, let's last point from Alex, then Catman, and then let's actually fix this broken, trash dumpster fire of a sport that I love. Yeah, it just, it, we have to make people understand how F1 works and understand that it's not all fire or go. And that's what you have in a series where people are making their own cars and there is an open set of regulations. If you want everything to be all equal, you can actually try and put them in equal cars. But I guarantee you, you gave everyone the same car, Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren would still be at the front and Haas and Williams would still be at the back. Guarantee it. Absolutely. And not necessarily just because a race has lots of overtakes doesn't necessarily mean that it was interesting. The, some of the best races I can recall have had very few overtakes at all. Uh, again, right, Catman, that is a really outdated view. I don't think modern F1 audiences will, will, will stand for that. And I now, even as an older F1 fan, I won't stand for that. I don't want to watch a race with fewer overtakes. I loved E.T. in the 80s or whenever it was released. But I, I wouldn't want every film to be et now because when we were kids chris you won't know this but when we were kids like there was okay. no the internet yeah and we found the dumbest stuff fun yeah i would go to cricket matches and if there was a break in play we had we would play dice cricket kids now are not going to play dice cricket at the side of a <laughs> cricket match they're gonna strap a vr headset to their face and watch tiktoks of people just saying scientifically inaccurate views but yelling them at you until you believe them the the thing is i would take quality over quantity any day of the week <laughs> so i agree with catman's statement that you know sometimes you'll see a, the graphics like all championships now are obsessed with the number of overtakes that they have because that is a usp for what is a good race according to them and it just isn't it's because silly, you'll yeah. see this race had 400 overtakes in it it's like okay none of it stood out to me though none of it was memorable none of it was interesting to me because they're not quality. It's just, in, in Formula One's case, it's just press a button, breeze past someone with, with the DRS, and uh, the, there's no story there at all. We want to see battles and races, sometimes races where there are fewer overtakes, but good battles are actually more interesting to watch. I watched the, uh, watched highlights of the, um, or extended highlights today of the 2018 German Grand Prix, the one where Lewis started 14th and Vettel crashed at the yeah. end. I mean, oh no. Up until, and up until he got to P6, every single one of his overtakes was DRS or just yeah. being on, on better tyres and obviously in a much better car. You know, so those ones didn't spark anything. Mm. It wasn't until his later moves and on comparative cars, on comparative tyres in mixed conditions that the, the overtakes actually became impressive. So, you know, you can ignore him overtaking seventh back to 14th because they were just easy overtakes you know right. so those aren't special to me it's you know um i'm okay my ham fosi comes out here but you know go back to uh germany in 2012 
when he's battling with Weber and Alonso, and he goes around the outside of um, Alonso and Weber through the complex in Germany. They are incredible overtakes. There are plenty of DRS ones down up towards late. Um, Weber passed uh, Alonso in a rouge and spa something something in twenty something something. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember? Those are, those are great, but passing up the straight, up mm. towards Chris, what's the name of the corner after Eau Rouge? Uh, Lecom. 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 Um, <gasps> the, the, just a DRS pass up to Lecom isn't mm. interesting. Schumacher and Hackenden going either side of Zonta. Uh, Batman, Zonta. 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 Uh, that's impressive because that wasn't DRS assisted. And it's, those, it's, uh, it's how the overtake is done um, that is the exciting Oh, it's bit. so good. Honestly... Avanji not being able to remember very specific things is like a walking F1 quiz. This is great. Say more things and we can yell the thing that you're going, the thing is the something of the something. But you all knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> we so did. Shush. It was the drama reduction system you're talking about. Right. Let's fix F1. All right. <laughs> we never even got some questions. Okay. So 21 minutes in. Sorry, everyone. Um, the, you know, you just get a bunch of F1 nerds on an F1 podcast. And look, we go off on one. The premise is how do we fix F1, which is suggestions to improve F1. So where where should we start? I think we start with uh, Scott Leslie, who says very simply, let's make the cars smaller and lighter. And there's, there's a, a lot of people who've, who've come in with this, which is uh, Scott um, Secura as well. Uh, what would improve uh, the the tracks and probably improve following if is the cars would generate less downforce and wake. So Chris Stevens, uh, set us off on that. Let's make the cars smaller. Yes. So I think everyone can agree that a smaller, lighter car will improve the racing. One of the championships that I commentate on called the Euro Formula Open is probably one of the last contemporary single seaters that you can race that weighs less than 600 kilos and it provides the best racing the best drama proper proper battles and really good racing no push to pass no drs nothing like that just pure honest to goodness pack racing and formula one needs to adopt things like that the only issue when it comes to the weight is most of the incremental you know increases in weight we've seen over the past 15 years the only exception being the introduction of the power units are for safety reasons. And it's been, you know, make this a bit thicker here, make this a bit bigger there, make this a bit more robust there. Uh, so it's really hard to try and to, to, to point to something and say, that's an easy area where we can lose a load of weight. Reducing the size of the cars is a good place to start for sure. There was even one comment. I don't know if we'll get to it later that said there should be no minimum weight at all, which I think might be a bit extreme because, again, safety measures. And if you give the teams no restriction on the weight, they will start cutting corners on safety. So we need we need something in there. But uh, there's definitely there's margin for improvement uh, there. Jeansy, where do you want to go? They won't start cutting corners. They'll start cutting food out of the driver's diets because that was part of the reason the minimum weight for drivers at least was brought in because you had drivers like Felipe Massa, who is a small guy who had a huge advantage over Nico Hulkenberg, who's six foot two and and built like a Greek god. Good. 
but he's no. But he's, <laughs> like Alex, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to interrupt. I'm so sorry, hey, but like, no, no, hang on. T- no, tall people have no place in motorsport. They've got basketball. They've got they've got h- jumping over high things. They've got their sprints. I do not want to have F1 pander to the tall people cabal. Have to have diversity spanners. No, well, they they can just go and ha- be CEOs of things, can't they? Like statistically, if you're over six foot tall, you're going to be a CEO of things. And there's an increasing trend. Thank goodness I'm not dating now. But if you look on like TikTok or whatever, they go, "Would you date a man under six foot?" And they're like, "No, I'd rather set fire to my face with skittles." Um, as a man who's five foot nine, I still wouldn't imi- reach the reach the minimum weight limit anyway. So, right. um, I'm I, I'm all. Good for having those weight limits increased, <laughs> um, but you know you mentioned on TikTok that you now get people going talking to a guy going, "How tall are you?" And he goes, "I'm six foot one." He measures him; he's five foot eight. You yeah, how dare those men having to be completely delusional yeah. about how tall they are? How dare those those normal sized freaks lie about their height? But Catman, I on a serious note, like we we should, or I think if if you want to have. A, a diversity of like just numbers in motorsport. Every biggin that's got into a car as a kid suddenly goes, "Oh, I'm terrible at this because I'm losing out to you know my five foot six compatriots." Yeah, and uh, the drivers in the nineties all had success ballast after a while, didn't they? Just talk to Nigel <laughs> yeah. Mansell. But yeah, uh, you could say let's make the minimum weight of the safety cell, which includes the driver and the the, the safety cell that protects him. I give give that say three hundred kilos, and then everything else you can do what you like with in terms of weight. So uh, maybe that's a way to do it. And they measure that before they bolt on the car stuff on the car on the Friday. I don't know. It would be an interesting way to to look at it because then you would protect the driver's waistlines, and you'd also be able to then get a lighter car. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so no one's saying that you should be you know have have to have an eating disorder to to get into motorsport. So. You know, but but also on the other hand, most drivers who are going to make it at the top level are athletes. So if you look at the current crop of F1 drivers, be they be be they uh, uh, tall or short, they all have very athletic physiques. So you should have a kind of bar, Alex, where you go. Anyone who is a professional sportsman who isn't going out of their way to to pile on muscle mass should be able to go and compete in motorsport without fouling. Now, that's harder at a karting level, although you and I have both been in tournaments where there's a minimum weight. It's very, very doable. But yeah, open up, open up the the weight regulations to to make sure that, you know, people aren't excluded just because they have the massive advantage of being Disney, Prince, Viking, Warlord type shapes. But the thing is, they also have to be a certain strength because, as you said, the the best graphic over the weekend at uh, Suzuka was the G graphic because they were pulling five and six G in some corners. And, you know, that is a massive, massive amount, especially on things like your neck and all your inner organs. Because the thing you have to remember is people just talk about the neck because obviously most F1 drivers have big, fat, wide necks because of all the G-forces they go through. But also every single organ in their body goes through that G as well, gets thrown to the left, thrown to the right, thrown forward, thrown backwards. And if you aren't fit enough and strong enough to deal with that, you will just crumble and fall apart. And to be to have that level of muscularity and endurance, you have to be a certain size. And if you make them smaller, make them have to be smaller, they won't be able to withstand it for longer. 
Yeah, but Tom uh, Cruise is a fighter pilot and he's tiny, so so that's okay. Uh, yeah, but being sm- again, being okay. So us uh, us little guys don't have a lot of advantages, but motorsport and being a fighter pilot is genuinely is genuinely one of them, Chris. I will maintain that Formula One wasn't a proper athletic professional sport until Michael Schumacher arrived in the yes. early 90s. Yeah, yeah, you're right. With a you're level right. of Absolutely. fitness. Yeah, you're right. Changed the sport. Nobody had up until that point, and he changed the game for what it needed to be. I'll just challenge that. There may have been fit F1 drivers in the past, but... Schumacher yes. forward, you absolutely had to be a Schumacher. So when he came back later on in his 40s to drive in Mercedes, he wasn't in a pack of people hanging out of the, the cockpit with a, a cigarette, having just been, <laughs> having just rolled out of the club to, to then go and race. He suddenly, he spawned this new generation of people who had to be Schumacher fit, and then he had to race against them as a 40-year-old. Yeah. I mean, long since the days of KK Rosberg flicking his cigarette out and then setting a new lap record at Silverstone. It's part of the reason I still will stand by the testament, which is nobody from earlier than the 80s (laughs) is anywhere near as good as anybody today. And that's your Jim Clarks, your Fangios, all those guys. No, don't. They were were men in their 50s having a hobby. Alex, we're going to get emails now. There's a hardcore of 20-somethings who insist that Jim Clark would definitely win F1 today in a salver. Uh, Catman, and then we'll move on. Well, I was going to bring it back to the, the weight topic and say that regardless of the driver quality, back in 2009, the weight limit for the cars was 605 kilos. Now it's 796. So that's a huge swell in terms of weight. And as you said, the the power unit is about 100 kilos heavier than it was with a conventional combustion engine, about 50 kilos for the for the halo and chassis and other stuff. Um, and, and I think the, the weight increase is the reason why it looks less dramatic now. You know, you used to see those cars like Schumacher's 2006 car dancing around, you know, him fighting Alonso at Imola was exciting because the cars were bouncing everywhere and flicking everywhere. Whereas now the increased weight means you've got less movement in the car. It's less dramatic. doesn't mean it's less easy or slower to drive or whatever, but it just looks less exciting for the, for the viewer. 100%. Even the cars 10 years ago, uh, just before the uh, hybrid power units came in, they look faster on TV and in well in pretty much everything because they are lighter and it looks more dramatic. And do you know what? That's 796 kilos. That's without fuel. So at the start of the race, they're nearly 900 kilos. And that, you know, they may well be faster than the cars 10 years ago and they may well be producing better lap times, but... I maintain I don't care about the lap times so long as Formula One remains the benchmark in terms of the, you know being the fastest cars in the world. But the difference, like in twenty seventeen, like oh we're going three point two seconds oh, that faster was so than we stupid. were this time that was last year. So stupid. I do not care. I do yeah. not care. Make Same. it look good on TV. Make it raceable. You've mentioned it there. Make it look good on TV. Less stabilization of the onboard cameras. Yes. Back in the back in the nineties, they were jingling about all over the place, and it was amazing. But <laughs> so, now, I swear to God, I swear to God, they've tried to artificially induce um, or make the onboard cameras slightly less bad. There was a period, I think it was a couple of years ago, where every time uh, you, they were on board with the Red Bull, mm. it would shake around like crazy at the high speed. And I don't know if they just installed that's because all their flexible aero. 
Uh, I don't know if they just installed that camera badly or something, but it looked so much better. And then they like fixed it a year later. And I no, bring some shaking, bring some uh, drama, some whisper to it. Go go back to uh, the Rosberg Hamilton Mercedes era. Look at the onboards there, and it looked like they were doing nothing. It looked like a Sunday drive. So I do wonder if part of that was down. And 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 look, Catman, some of this is let's fix F one is. Let's fix F1 to to watch. There's two different kind of arguments in that. Like, you know, what what is it from a sporting point of view? Or are we just selfish and say we want a thing better on telly? Yeah, and I think you've got to work out if it's a sport or an entertainment. I think that's a very important thing. WWE is very entertaining to watch, as I'm sure Alex Alex will tell loves us. it. Alex loves yeah, his WWE. But I can't, and I can't stand it because it's so artificial. So, you know, I think it's a very difficult thing but good news though spanners is yeah. that in 2026 the cars are going to be a whopping 50 kilos lighter that won't so we've solved it cut the biscuit okay so i think we've fixed that i wasn't paying that much attention but i think we solved making cars lighter so that's good that's a that's a one that's a missed apex one f1 nil we showed them okay so let's see it's sean his username is Sean Now Engaged and King. Uh, Sean, just a warning for you. I know you've got excited. I, I know you've met a lovely person who you think is going to enrich your life. But for for the love of God, don't then get married and have kids. It takes a lot, a lot of time. It takes an awful lot of time, and you should avoid it. He warned me about that, and I didn't pay any attention. I literally warned Catman <laughs> from the beginning, and he didn't listen to me. And now, now look at him. Does he look happy? Does he? Yeah, I also warned Alex. No one, no one listened to me, and now you all know, so that's fine. Okay, so uh, Sean says, this is so easy, Spanners. Bring back refueling, and F1 is instantly three times better than it is right now, and I don't want to hear any whining, says Sean, about quote-unquote safety. These guys sign up to drive 208 miles an hour down the Baku straight with a chance of a blow-up. Death is on offer Every weekend. So what I would say to you, Alex, is fear of refueling is woke. If they want to explode, I say let them explode. Let's ignore safety. I don't. I, I, I think they could sort it now that they could fix the safety issues. I'm not worried about the safety issues. I'm worried about the racing because the biggest problem with refueling. Go and watch any Schumacher dominated series. If he was ever stuck in traffic, he'd pit refuel, drive around on his own for ages, and all of a sudden appear in the lead. What happens if you stick refueling wait, 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 explain, in? Explain, 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 Alex. Just just break that down for people who didn't watch that. Explain so uh, how Schumacher could use refueling in his dominant period to just get out of any problem. So what you'd either do is he, if he had a bad qualifying was starting further back in the grid, um, there is a specific race that I'd watched a while ago and I can't remember which one it was. And I think he started around 13th place and he um, underfueled, underfueled the car and he went out and he went really, really fast, made up a whole bunch of places, pitted really early before anybody else. So he had loads and loads of space on circuit filled the car up with fuel and just went and did the old Schumacher qualifying laps every single lap. And then by the time everyone had filtered in and done their pit stops, he'd gone from outside oh. the points to third place. 
That that used to annoy me so much, and that was sort of Murray Walker commentary, I think, at the time still. And he'd go, oh, Schumacher needs to pull off 15 qualifying laps. Oh, this is the most amazing thing in the world. And it's like, well, okay, your job is to make this exciting. I get that. Uh, however, what he was really just doing was his his normal kind of race pace, but the refueling gave him a, a mechanism by which he didn't have to overtake anyone, which was very difficult in that era. Catman. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go directly against the point I made at the top of the show, which is you have to have <laughs> some overtakes to make a race interesting. And you said, and- you told me, you told all of us <laughs> that you didn't need to overtake ever. And it was Overtaking fine. a you- stationary <laughs> car at the pits is absolutely You said you F1 could just be beads on a string and you just tip one end of the string up and that would be fine. That's what you said. I've been cancelled, haven't I? Yeah, that's it. Cancelled, Catman. Yeah. Uh, yeah no absolutely refueling was terrible and is a terrible idea <laughs> no um it's good for an endurance race because you kind of need some fuel yeah but for a, for a sprint race no okay uh, to, to be not. fair uh catman um your name is christopher we just say catman because we've already got a chris but um and also he helps us look after our cats but look like refueling is as artificial as drs it is as artificial as needing to change your tires or having different compounds of tires so people kind of hark back to like a a glory period of of refueling but refueling for an hour and a half race is like an one of the ultimate artificial for the sake of it racing aids yeah and i think you need only a couple of artificial aids so that everybody can understand and see where it came from the problem with refueling is unless they told you you had absolutely no idea what sort of fuel level the car was carrying. So you could be taken completely yeah, by horrible, surprise yeah. and and just, oh, he's pitted. Why has he done that? Oh, he obviously had no fuel. Well, that's the end of the race then. Never mind. Uh, maybe though, uh, Chris, real Chris. Sorry, no, that's bad. Not real Chris. Um, Chris won. Chris won. I'm Chris um, four now. I mean, come yes, on. People. So you, I know. So Chris, what Catman was Chris two. And then we obviously Christian. Pedersen. He's got, that's, isn't it, with a K, Christian? Still counts. So that's Chris <laughs> too. And now we've had Christina, the lady from Canada, from the TikTok lady who's very, very good. And I just, yeah, I just felt like, like, you know, her TikTok you know, audience, just on numbers, made her the best, like, Chris 3. So, it's all because of her cat just talking over it, the And she has a cat well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, she has so, a cat as well. Yeah, yeah, Where's yeah. my cat? Where yeah. is it? No, you can't <laughs> grab cats to be promoted amongst <laughs> the Chris's. But... Chris won. <laughs> um, hey. Thing is, uh, refueling was was really ruined by not knowing what fuel loads people had. But Formula mm. E has maybe shown us that with information, the viewer can... The, like, uh, Chris Four was right that you couldn't follow the action, especially with qualifying. You'd line up on the grid and you wouldn't know the fuel loads. So you go, he's on pole. Ah, but he's had to pit on lap three. So it's worthless. Formula yeah. E has shown us that this kind of energy monitoring can involve the viewer. Yeah, so I mean, it's different, say, to tyres, for example, because there is still a kind of visual element to the tyres and that we know what compound they're on. Therefore, we can see if they're going a bit more aggressive and say, oh, look, they're going for a softer tyre. Therefore, this is going to be a bit yeah. of a shorter stint or they're going for hards. Oh, they might run it through to the end of the race. There's a bit more information oh, being well, well, fed through uh, there. what they used but, to do and i'm not trying to young you but in the olden days like the, the commentators would like visually like try to try to mississippi it so they'd put the fuel hose on they go like one mississippi two mississippi okay, yeah. that was five mississippis i think they're fueled for 
for half the race. And it was so, like, thing, wet finger in the air. But it's interesting you mentioned Formula E because next season, I believe, they are introducing recharging in the ah, race. There you go. So let's see if maybe Formula One can learn a little something from, from them yeah, about how they maybe. present said information. Yeah. yeah, so maybe they can sprinkle fuel from the from the grandstands as they go along. So are we going to get a section of the race where they're all just sat at the services for half an hour <laughs> having, while they're having a burger? Up, having a jeansy, jeansy, jeansy. It's fast charging. It's supercharging. There yeah, half an hour. That's how long the Tesla's doing it. half an hour. It's going to be like seconds. Okay. Can we, can we actually make any case for... for Okay, put it this way. What is the argument for refueling? It's an extra okay. stop. It's a tactical element. It's the weight, I think. Because we've just sat here and complained about the weight of the cars, and yeah. that's an easy way 100, to lose 100. 50 kilos yeah. 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 From, from the weight of the car. The only issue is there are an awful lot of negatives <laughs> that don't really justify the means. It, imagine how far ahead Max Verstappen would be this season with refueling. We wouldn't have seen any of those mega drives that he's had through the, through the pack. He'd have just pitted. And then had clean air, and then been in the lead by twenty seconds, and no one would understand why. The problem that was the biggest problem with refueling is, especially because back in the day we didn't have the live timing, so we couldn't, you know, you didn't have live timing in front of you, so you couldn't see um, the lap times the drivers are putting in. But now you just see it. Oh, look at Max's lap time; he's a second and a half quicker than everybody else on the grid. He's easily going to come out ahead. It would just be more boring. Yeah, but you get that amazing AWS graphic that would say, oh, you know, Max would come out if he pitted at this lap. He'd come out much further ahead. Now, it would be terrible. So in those days... I can't can't deal with it, no. But in those days, in the before time, like what tyres were they running during refuelling? They they didn't have the Pirelli kind of chocolate tyres where... So so like like refuelling really has been replaced by... The Pirelli tire model. That's that's yes, exactly. it serves, a two second stop is more exciting than a fuel. Yeah, stop. Yeah, it serves the same purpose. So I'll tell you, Spanik, because we only had one year of uh, no refueling and no high deg tires. That was in 2010. Oddly enough, one of the best championship <laughs> fights we've ever seen. Oh no! So I don't, I don't know if there's cause and effect there, but um, I think the main era when we talk about refueling, people think think about the period of the 2000s, where we had the Michelin and um bridgestone, bridgestone tire yeah. war and then just sold bridgestone supply basically so and there was uh, there was even one year in all that as well where there were no tires you had to one run one set of tires for the entire uh race which was when um like kimmy didn't he blew up famously the blew up the uh yeah. nurburgring the, last lap wasn't right, it yeah, yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, it looks like we are two-thirds through fixing F1. Good job, everyone. If you are enjoying Miss Apex podcast, I'd like to ask a, a couple of things of you, if that's okay. Miss Apex will always be a free podcast at the point of use, but if you could uh, see your way clear to help us out, an iTunes or Spotify review would really, really help us out. Uh, you know, just five stars. You can insult people's physical appearance i will i'll just flash up alex on the screen in case you need any inspiration but you know i don't mind what that five star review says as long as it's five stars and missed apex is fine that really helps us in the itunes and spotify charts and helps our visibility massively the other thing you could do is support us on patreon because patreon gives us practical resources to to a not have to do other things instead of doing Miss Apex podcast. Uh, but increasingly, it gives us choices like, can we advertise? Can we do a 30-second trailer at the beginning of the season to to give everybody a chance to tune in and, and grow Miss Apex? And the more we grow, the more we have an excuse to keep on doing this kind of thing. This started off in 2016 as a shot in the dark. And because of your encouragement, we have been able to continue. So please, tell the world. If you can't tell iTunes or Spotify, tell Derek in the office. Missed Apex is where I go to get my little hit of F1 chat. Adam20 says, no more track limits. So we asked people to fix F1 and they responded in partially this way. So yeah, Adam says, no more track limits. And then limited DRS uncapped hybrid power per lap, open suspension development, including active suspension, active aero devices allowed. Okay, big, big, uh, big, big uh, question there from, from Adam. A lot of suggestions, but let's zone in on track limits because Rob DeFries also says, one fix to fix most things wrong with F1, natural, i.e. non-tarmac track boundaries, Lower entrance. Oh, okay. then he says lower entrance for, for teams would be nice as well. So we are on track limits, guys. And this is an argument we have had for many, many years here on Missed Apex. And I flip flopped all around. But the one thing that I've always stuck with is no natural barriers. Like I don't like just a wall around the track because I, I don't like street tracks. I hate gravel because your favorite driver makes a mistake and then he's just not in the race anymore. Uh, grass is 
fairly, you know, it's dangerous because you've got a track surface where a, a, a car will go and then they can't control themselves. But Tarmac has a problem where it doesn't matter if you go off because you can just continue. So, Chris, no track limits. Yeah. Right. So let's just, at Wimbledon, let them <laughs> hit the ball wherever they want. Oh, it's fine. Oh, that's still in. In football, if they just yeet it into the corner. Oh, no, that, that's a goal, actually. You, you have to have a defined area of play. Otherwise, what is the point? Like they turn one at Austria, they will just fling themselves right towards where that tire wall is and run all the way out to the edge of wherever they possibly can. You need to have a defined area of play. Otherwise, it is not a sport anymore. It is just nonsense, right? Uh, I do agree. Oh, we need Bantine. to work harder <laughs> in, a, in, in creating a natural track limits deterrent because we, we saw it at Austria. The drivers are pretty poor at judging it themselves with the white line when it's all just mm. tarmac, right? But there are safety elements you have to, to put in as well, especially when you consider a lot of tracks need to be viable for bike racing as well. No, no, boo! Right, no, let's nip this in the butt, which I believe is the correct way. I know some people say nip it in the bud, but it's not. It, you have to nip the person's butt who is making these decisions. I, I don't think that's right, no, Spanish. It, no, I, I think you have to nip them their butt and they go, oh, okay, I think, okay. I think you're thinking of butt naked, which no, is actually no, butt okay. naked. So, so let's nip the decision maker in the butt. I, I don't care what MotoGP needs, okay? So in the context of this conversation, okay. I, I know a track does. A track might go, oh, Yeah, the track oh, cares because they want to host it. Oh, yeah, I need money to feed my children. Whatever, I don't care. I'm talking about Formula One here. So I want to exist in a universe where you don't have to fundamentally change F1 to accommodate witchcraft bikes, which are basically pretend because... You don't have to fundamentally change Formula One. You do. You if, just change... No, you just adapt the... Uh, the, the area in which they race in or you say to moto gp lads we get it you're brave but you just have to deal with whatever f1 throws at you uh-huh. or just or just do something a lot safer because riding motorbikes for a living is nuts van Jean. the track limits is the skill part of the job the whole point of being a good racing driver is you can keep the car on a circuit faster than anybody else Otherwise, you're left with Indy when they just lose all the runoff at the penultimate corner at Cota, which was an absolute travesty. That doesn't take any skill. Those cars have enough grip that you can that go around bad. the corner that flat bad, out yeah. and just go as far off the circuit as possible. As far as the the having natural track limits, things that make when you go wide be an issue, be uh, an actual consequence. For me, it's like you have a strip, be it. I don't know, half a car width wide of grass or of something that is of lower adhesion than the actual track. So it makes you have to go off. And then you've got the... the, For safety, you've got the the, tarmac. The safety of the tarmac to go off to, to just recover and get back onto the track, but you will have lost time. Because the problem is with, with big gravel traps, you can run a little bit wide, slow down a bit too much and get stuck, and you're out of the race. I don't want cars going out the race like we had when we did Mugello. We had cars go out of the race when because they got stuck in the deepest gravel trap in the world um, because they couldn't just drive straight through it. With grass, if it's got any form of moisture on it, it's an mm. ice rink and it's a one-way trip to the barrier. Um, or if you have a strip of tarmac that's been used as a drag strip, 
and it's got water yeah. on it and all you do is oil. you go straight off <laughs> it's all into, the, into the barrier you know it's it's got to be enough that it's a deterrent right. um and but then still safe enough that we still don't lose cars from the rest well, yeah we're going to cat my next here but look what is the ultimate test of any motorsport like be it virtual be it you know professional amateur obviously the greatest test of motorsport accomplishment is Rainbow Road on Mario Kart. Catman, there are no track limits on Mario Kart. Yes, you can hit the odd brick once, but once that brick's gone, it's gone, and then you're off, and you're you're looking for the cloud fishing hook. I was going to say, weren't the track limits you fell off into space and then you had to get fished no, out? No, a little again, guy, yeah, so, gets yeah. you. A guy in a yeah. cloud fishes you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, track limits are important. I will defend the indie thing, is that was a one-weekend um, it looked horrible, attempt. though. It was terrible. Yeah. Don't care. But, it looked awful. Don't care what it was. Whatever it was, it looked bad. For it sport. was so bad. But also, I will defend the current crop of drivers. You know, we're saying that they're the best in the world and they should be able to put it within these white lines. I think it was far easier when you had a tiny, nimble, little 2006 Ferrari Formula One car where you could see where the edge of the car was. Now the cars are fat and long with these big kind of bat ears over the wheels. They can't see a thing. So I'm not surprised they can't keep it within the white lines. So, sorry, Chris. Jeansy, Jeansy, to your point as well, the skill should be rewarded and going off the track should be punished in a way then. So I, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it's bad that we lose cars from the race because if you make a mistake you go off the track you should be punished for it especially if you go off in a big enough way that it gets you out of the race and therefore you're rewarding the drivers who can keep it on the track even more so and we we see that skill come through a little bit more i think the only issue with gravel from a safety point of view is when cars dig in you get the higher uh, chance that they're going to roll which is not what you want to see the when a car rolls there is no risk of the driver's head hitting the ground but that's when they're on a smooth asphalt surface once you start bringing in gravel into the into the equation and a car can dig in then there's a less of a guarantee of the driver's safety there yeah i'm not suggesting that we go racing at western supermare where you dig into <laughs> the the ground and then never come oh, back yeah. out again but you know something something has to be a deterrent Wait, wasn't it Paul Ricard who tried to use the um, the low adhesion strips around the edge of the circuit? Those bright blue strips. Were they, are they meant to be like no, low opposite. adhesive? Isn't the one high, next high, to the track meant to be high. low adhesive and then further away is higher adhesive so that it would slow it down? Is that not where they got it wrong? No, they are they are aggressively more um, harsh tarmac, which ruins the tires. Yeah. Which is actually so, very interesting. But, but the effect is not, it... is not high enough. That's the thing. It's, it's, it, if you lock up and go through all of those, then yes, you'll get a much bigger flat spot. But it wasn't really like, you know, oh, if you run off briefly, it's going to wear your tires more. You'd have to yeah. do it quite habitually. You can go in a straight yeah. line off yeah. through yeah. it and be absolutely yeah. fine. So, yeah. you... the, the biggest problem with track limits is always Austria. It's, those last, it's that last corner in Austria. And the problem with that isn't the drivers not being able to keep it within within the track limits because of a skill issue. It's they can't see the line. They don't mm, know where the line I'm is because, sure. the car, as Catman said, the cockpits are so high and all the fairings and everything's all around it. It's so difficult for them to actually see where that line is. So the, the way to fix that is 
two things bigger lines so they've got a little bit more margin for error um or once you're over the line you have a different track surface feeling so that you you know okay that's the limit rumble strips through practice effectively yeah but obviously something that's 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 going to help it but that's the whole thing yeah, the same thing was at um imola as well oh, hang on sorry um, oh hi to our live stream by the way because you can like comments and logan Sargent just liked that idea about having rumble strips um for, for track <laughs> sorry logan Sargent has received the full backing of the williams board so he's safe fully fully safe uh, worse than latifi chris Oh, that's extreme. Yeah, that's a bit, um, that's, yeah. Yeah, but I love Nicky, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> he was rubbish too. One, you, don't you say anything about my Nicky. Um, the, the big, the one easy win in terms of track limits, stop making curbs that are wider than the cars as well, because yeah. then, then it's a lot easier to see. It's not just in terms of like exit curbs, but also entry curbs and apex curbs. Because again, yeah. at Paul Ricard, you can like cut one of the corners in mm. its entirety and it becomes a massive problem in, in terms of the track limits. Stop making them yeah. cuttable. So even, even at um, Suzuka, like just like we were told a while back that they were going to say, right, the line is the line. And, and that's, that would be my personal preference. My personal preference is, yeah, I know, you know, ideally, yeah, maybe you could have like a slightly different uh, amount of grip once you go off the line. But also we just, we have electricity electronic solutions so the, the line is the line if you go over if you overtake and and uh you know you go over the line that should be a penalty so lewis hamilton uh pushing out uh george russell uh, that was fine but then to me he didn't stay on the line he went over the line so that should be a penalty and that should be flagged up and then he, he should get like a small power deficit like an undangerous power deficit these kinds of kinds of things are technologically it's very, very simple. But at Suzuka, they deemed those curbs to be in limits. That wasn't communicated to us. Hopefully, it was communicated to the drivers. But why are some tracks, uh, the curbs are in, and, and some tracks, it's the line? So let's just be consistent. Like if, if it's, let's, let's paint the line like bright purple so there's no doubt about where the line is. And if the curb is in then paint the purple line around the curb. And then we just all know where you're allowed to be. And there's no ambiguity. Chris. There is a comment in our chat room. A comment, you say? Which, which you may join if you sign up to patreon.com forward slash Apex. And I would highly recommend that you do because Jason G has said, perhaps there is something we could do with the paint of the white line that reduces grip. Now, I will say, that's dangerous that that's yes the problem with that is that and the fia there are fia homologated paints for the use of uh, on circuits that have to be a, a certain abrasiveness and uh, therefore grip primarily because in the wet they otherwise become just slippery as hell and quite dangerous so when we're looking at street tracks for example there's an awful lot of yeah, white you, lines, just road markings, right? Yeah, you have to be alert on a street circuit. Exactly. Well, funny you should say that because the man who said that himself, Jolian Palmer, Palmer yeah. was uh, subject to aquaplaning off in Monaco that one year at Hoondit Down in 2016 because he got, he went over the zebra crossing and just aquaplaned off the circuit. Uh, so 
the, there is actually That's uh, not a, a lot of thought that goes into the paints that are used on uh, circuits and they need to be a higher grip rather than a lower grip. He's really taken this becoming Matt thing to heart, hasn't he? Talking about the homologation of paint. No, I know, I know. It's just something I picked <laughs> up at work, actually. <laughs> just so okay. I know. I do, look, no, so, I, I love that Matt takes these kind of regulations and rules that no one else bothers with at all and then just launches into like, yeah, no, the signage in F1 tracks has it takes two weeks to set up and then just launches into like a whole thing of, of, of a thing you'd never thought about. So yes, oh me too. Yeah, whilst, absolutely. Whilst I'm happy actually to slag off Matt for that, there is some effort and value to it. Oh, absolutely. It's it's phenomenal the effort and the detail that he knows about Formula One. But so so anyway, come back to the point. I've got two ways they could do this. Could they have a layer of paint on the outside of the line that marks the tire so that the stewards could see oh. when they've gone <laughs> off? So it's like you, if your tire is yellow. You have gone off the circuit. Alex is uh, on, very Alex. much on, wagging his finger. It, it's it's not necessary because there is technology that exists Thank that you. can do this. It's the very technology easy. exists that once a car is over because I'm fed up with the, the um, steward guessing from yeah. a couple of <laughs> yeah. cameras from the side of the track yeah. because it's blooming ridiculous because you cannot tell, mm. especially because there's shadows or there's something on the track. It's rubbish. There is technology that exists that can do this sort of thing. I don't agree with the power decrease thing because that sure. will always yeah. come back as being as being done yeah. as dangerous. Um, so you can have the technology that tells it, but you can also have the, it's, it's basically a buzzer would go off in the car or a light would flash in the car to say you've gone off the track there. So even the drivers could know and then they can fine tune during practice why practice is needed yeah. um, to to make this to make this work. Can, can I just it's, head it's off one really, big, really simple, yeah. but they just don't do it. One it's, bigger it's comeback. It's VAR, it's um, uh, Hawkeye, it's Hawkeye, 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 or no, Hawkeye's cricket. What's the tennis one called? I don't know. No, Hawkeye, Hawkeye's, Hawkeye's tennis. tennis. Is it? Okay. Um, but the, cricket did it first. How dare you, tennis. But uh, the the argument that comes back is, oh, so you're gonna you're gonna make five miles of sensors around the tracks? No, you can just focus in on on the corners, the key corners. Like you know that people are going to run off at Spoon. You know people are gonna run off at Turn No Name in in Spa. So there are there are definite like or, or all of Austria, if you like, and, and all of Kota. So there are clear places where you can put those sensors. And and it is it is trivial. Anyone who tells you that it would be difficult to have like technology to detect where an F one car is relative to a line does not know what they're talking about. Anyone it's who's, super simple yeah, technology. Anyone it's who not says, even expensive. Yeah, okay, so so from my relatively humble place of you know being an electronics engineer who spent many many years on positioning and radar technology, I I if you trust me at all. Knowing where an F1 car is relative to a line in space-time, anyone who tells you that is hard does not know what they're talking about. I've thought of a way to combat the fact, the excuse that they can't see it. So Spanners and Alex, you might remember from back in the days, was it 1993 when the Williams had the little picture of the driver's legs on the side advertising the Sonic the Hedgehog feet? (laughs) <laughs> right make that part of the car see through so we can see what their feet are doing and so that they can see where the lines are done sorted i fixed it thank you nice catman wins 
Okay, we have a really good point here from Barbara. Barbara says, a penalty should be meaningful. Professional stewards, this is the bit I think Alex will jump on. Professional stewards who should not have any affiliation with any team or engine supplier. Uh, if they want the job, they should cut the ties. Uh, and also, she suggests that we shouldn't mess with qualifying. But I think a, a penalty should be meaningful is the first thing that we should concentrate on, uh, Chris, because the go-to has been, OK, we'll investigate this in a minute. OK, they got clear. So five-second penalty. We are being very, very harsh. We've given a penalty, even yeah. though everyone could predict that that would not have any meaningful effect. So, yeah, uh, th there is a tool in the stewards' arsenal now, which is we will penalise you without penalising you. Yeah. What's hilarious, and this is all in the circle of life where everything comes back in on itself, because... The five-second penalty was made as an option because we were giving out too many harsh penalties for tiny little incidents. We we're going to say, what are you going to do? You're going to give them a 10 second You're going to give them a drive-through just because they clobbered wheels at some point. No, let's get let's let's do something lenient that uh, you know slaps them on the wrist but doesn't uh, destroy their race, which was the whole point of the five-second penalty. Now the system is being gamed, and so we need to find a new solution but it's funny how everything sort of circles back we went from the penalties are too harsh now penalties are too lenient we need to make them harsher again yeah chris is chris is absolutely spot on with that which was you know yes a 10 second stop go penalty for a little nerf into a corner when you've when no one's lost out on anything but there's been a bit of contact that was extremely harsh they've now gone to the full other end of the spectrum but you then get the whole thing of oh um Martin Brundle says it all the time, which is, oh, you, you're supposed to let the other car back through, but actually now they've dropped back. So you slow down, you let the three cars that have gone past yeah. the car you nerfed <laughs> yeah. off the circuit past, and you have to fall in behind them. We do it in rental karting. It's not. It's, it's something you have to do. You have to sit there yeah. and wait. Actually, or yeah. then you get your mm. drive-through penalty. You know, drive-through penalties are actually a good penalty, but they have to be served instantly. They can't be served with pit stops and all this so kind of stuff. So in nearly every um, form of like karting, which is core motorsport, and and this is um, you know something that that annoys me with football. They go, well, if we do it in the Premier League, we'd have to do it for for Sunday League. It's like yes, that's that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah. Let's have the sport be the same. So. You know, in rental karting, you know, there's always like an AOB board. You know, um, if you've got AOC, ABC, so ABC, that's the one. Sorry, yeah, advantage, advantage by, by contact. contact. Yeah, so yeah, if you have, if there's contact, like no one is kind of vilifying you if there's contact. Like we know contact happens, happens. and and we're all trying to avoid it. But if you end up nerfing your nose and t-boning someone, and then you go ahead. You get your ABC flag, and you go, okay, fine, I'll I'll just give that up. But more and more, Alex, like teams are going, okay, um, I did get by unfairly. I know there's going to be a five second penalty, so I'm just going to yeet it up the road and hope that I can get a six second gap. It it's like Perez at Singapore on Albon. He can afford to bump Albon out of the way, take a five second penalty because he can get five seconds ahead, but overtaking at Singapore is difficult and can ruin somebody's race. He should have had to have backed off, let Albon back through. And then it's, it's, it's madness because uh, as I think Chris said, people are gaming the system now, which is a case of, all right, let's risk getting a penalty, but yeet it up, up <laughs> down the road. And yeah, so yeah. it has to be 
understand has to be a penalty that is harsh enough for the incident and has to affect that person's race. You can't have a penalty that's not going to affect someone's race yeah. apart from the fact they might have to push a bit harder. Uh, Jose, Chris, have you seen that comment in the Slack? I, I have, yeah. So Jose says, you can easily win a race by kicking out everyone off the track. Five times 19 is a 95 second penalty. So as long as you, yeah, you can just take everyone out and just factor that in. And that that's the thing is now the penalties are... Um, basically like another part of the sport you know you can go right okay Mm. i will accept my penalty and just add that to my race time yeah exactly because it's being used more often than not i think by the bigger teams to clear slower cars because they know they're going to lose more time by dropping back trying to repass them than they are just by taking the five seconds and jeansy the scenario you mentioned there where you've passed someone illegally but then they get overtaken so there's a car between you and the uh that the car that you passed illegally, you should just let them both through. The last instance I can remember of this is in 2009 in Singapore when Weber went on the outside of um, turn seven on the, the the first lap and he passed uh, he passed either Heidfeld or Glock. Don't ask me why I remember this. It's one of these obscure <laughs> little things that you just remember. I love that. Um, That's good. <laughs> and he had to let... Um, he had to let both of them through. And he's like, why do I have to let Glock through? And he's like, because because Heidfeld is behind Glock as well. Um, well, I mean, we saw Lewis Hamilton have to let George and Lando through after overtaking both them and Lee. No, he didn't yes. have to let Lando through. He didn't, he didn't have to let Lando through. I have no idea what he, he that was He did, about. because that was a stupid call by Mercedes. Right. But, this, but I'll tell you what, I mean, we're going a little bit away from this, but this is where Mercedes have been poor on strategic, is they have erred so much on the side of caution, everything's slower, like their pit stops. We'll get to that another day, I think. My goodness, yes. Another day. Okay, uh, this day is for... Uh, the listeners' suggestions of how we should fix F1. So, Wherewood says, um, oh, no, sorry, Wherewood. Oh, that was a tease. Okay, because I've incorrectly said it, we now have to do it. Uh, add more teams and more points positions. Allow capital expenditure for teams below seventh place in the Constructors' Championship. So, Catman, why should Williams be held back from improving their facilities because of the cost cap? And basically, what can we do to to incentivize the the lower teams to keep investing and to keep racing. So yeah, to add a bit of background to this, so Williams asked they uh, I think James Valls went from Mercedes to Williams and went, "Wow, this place is like working out of a shed." Yeah, uh, which is nothing wrong. Whoa, whoa, by the way. whoa! You know how <laughs> dare you take that back? <laughs> yes. Okay. So compared to Mercedes, it was it was really bad. So they said, could we possibly just break the cost cap a little bit? You know, CapEx is a is a proper thing in business where you can spend more than your annual budget to allow you to catch up. So at that point, they said, can we maybe improve our wind tunnel or our facilities, our CFD, for example? And the better teams went, well, hang on. If they if they get to spend more, then why don't we? So it started out initially as trying to close the field, but now the top teams jumped in and then they essentially just closed it down. So it was very frustrating because it, it started off really well intentioned, but then just got kicked out and the status quo remains. So I 100% agree with uh, this comment to have forgotten the name of Weirwood um, to be able to to kind of level the playing field in that way, because currently 
if you don't change the cost cap and you don't allow capital expenditure, then you're basically just going to have the status quo ad infinitum. If you really want to fix F1, stop letting the teams run the sport because they've had influence on that decision and that is making the sport worse. Recording stopped. The recording has not been stopped. I don't know what Zoom is playing out, but please continue. (laughs) That was it. All right, Chris. Okay, Uh, let's see. Chris, can you see Formula Lib's uh, question here on... uh, on on the the show notes and i would like you to to lead that if you can okay i certainly will so formula lib says get rid of the cost cap quite simply and i can see two sides to this in reference to what we were just talking to as well um because the cost cap as you said chris very well intentioned but we have seen some sort of unforeseen or maybe unconsidered consequences uh, like the fact that Williams can't spend this money to improve their facilities. We've likened the fact that Mercedes can't catch up to uh, Red Bull because they can't spend their way out of the problem. And in a way that's nice. It's a, it becomes an engineering challenge rather than just a financial one. But yeah, maybe, maybe there is a case to say that we should, jig the regs on the cost cap at the very least maybe get rid of it in its entirety so that every september we don't have to sit there and think oh which teams broke the cost cap last year yeah by the time that they've done the auditing no one cares whether they broke this cost cap that was you know 20 races ago by that point but yeah i agree so if you look at the years where they didn't have the cost cap you'd have teams like ferrari back in the schumacher era that would just spend ludicrous amounts of money compared to everybody else and of course they were going to win because they just got more people, more minds on it, more innovation. That's just how it works. So you need a refined cost cap system, which, as you rightly said, Chris, we're agreeing too much for a, for a decent podcast here, but I agree with you that it shouldn't be run by the teams because if the teams are allowed to, then they'll, the, the, the ones that, who are on top will want to stay on top and the ones who aren't don't get enough of a say. So we need it done by a proper independent body that is able to take decisions and not have any repercussions based on the decisions that they make. And and that's how it would be effectively managed. Letting the, letting the teams make uh, be involved in the rules is like having a steward that runs a Honda dealership or drivers who've worked for Red Bull oh, their entire careers. Okay, so look, where are you going to find a driver that has done their racing career, they've retired, they think, I'm too old for this, what am I going to do? I'm going to steward. I'm going to go and work in Formula One. Okay. Oh, damn it. I drove for Audi. I drove for Mercedes. I drove for Ferrari in my time. I I can't do that. You're not going to find someone without any bias if they've got to any decent level good enough to do it, unless we want, you know, Brad and Alex to be doing it, which I I would. Gladly. Yeah. I would, I would, if if they want to pay me, I would, and I would do every race. They want to pay me to be a steward. Brilliant. The number of times we have argued about your interpretation of the rules means that I don't want you in charge of it. Minor correct, yours are wrong. It's fine. (laughs) There you go. But yeah, so I just don't think you'll find anybody who's got a a decent level of unbiased. You just want people who can make sound decisions. And and the Honda dealership thing is always something that's brought up with a certain uh, DW, shall we say. Um, But yeah, I, I don't think that that necessarily brings a big conflict of interest okay there's nothing that can be done about stewarding it's just gonna have to stay the way it is but i i do think there is something to be said for 
uh, more consistency in terms of who is doing the stewarding. Uh, if we can have, you know, a permanent race director uh, now, and, you know, I, I know there are fewer and fewer roles in within Formula One that are considered permanent, given the sheer number of races that we go to uh, now, but maybe there is a case to be made for a more more consistent faces in the, the stewarding team. Chris? What, what about AI? Couldn't we get an AI? Have you ever played the F1 games? They, uh, they're not <laughs> great at determining who was at fault for certain things. <laughs> well, that, that's very true. But surely with the pace that that is increasing at the moment, it won't be far off before we have an AI system that is capable of being able to make in, sorry, incorrect decisions. No, correct decisions without, without in, impartially. That's what, I, yeah, that's what I meant to say. I watched AI doing live commentary on a sim race. I mean, so if they could no, do commentary, no, if, you, no, no. <laughs> if they could do commentary, could you imagine what they could do with race stewarding? But I mean, Lewis mentioned that at the last race doing AI. I, I, I would love to see if it's possible, but until it is absolutely bang on perfect and they've like run it for a season side by side mm. with the real thing, I'd be very, very skeptical at letting AI just decide that because the yeah. problem with AI deciding it is racing is a very raw and passionate thing which has a lot of elements that go into it that aren't just um that aren't yeah. necessarily always so i just had to nip out but i assume you're talking about lewis hamilton's comments about letting ai decide stewarding like, i love lewis hamilton i think he's brilliant he's a pioneer he's he's the greatest driver of all time like i've no no he, problem with that but i i'm guessing he doesn't fully understand what the modern definition of ai is because now everyone is just kind of going, well, AI will just sort that out. And I just, I, I was having this argument in a restaurant just this afternoon. I just, I wish they hadn't have called this AI. Could they please not have called this computers are getting really, really good? Why did they have to call this artificial intelligence? Has no one watched the Terminator movies? Everyone Fine, thinks that AI now means... Uh, 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 an omni- it basically, the AI god will solve everything rather than computing power has gotten a bit better now. Yeah, so I, I think that Sky, the broadcaster, should invent it and it should be on the internet and they could call it Skynet. Sky- no, because we all know how that ends. <laughs> that all ends. There's already a company called Skynet. I've seen their vans driving around. Mind you, 1984 was the best ever year for sci-fi movies. So if they got that right, what else could they have got right? So have we got to uh, Jug or Arnott's question? Uh- I was just going then to... Go, uh, Chris, then go, Chris. Go, go, go. You want me to do it? Okay, yeah, I want so you to do it, yeah. Juggernaut, I think is what he's going for. Well, it's jug underscore r underscore not. Juggernaut says, more parts for the... Uh, sorry, make more parts for the cars made by one manufacturer. Standardised, like tyres. So it's, it's less about one. money spent on one. development and more on team strategy. Now, I think there is a case for this because... There are certain elements of of cars that we don't really care about. And teams are spending millions and millions on developing a new type of screw for their little (laughs) thing to put one bit on another thing. And I don't care about it. I can't even see it. It's not performance related. Make it standard. We don't want F2 where everything is exactly the same because Formula One is an engineering sport. But what, what can we make spec so that it makes things cheaper, but it doesn't impact the engineering challenge of Formula One. Alex? Well, it's like um, Red Bull have 
created like a new weave type weave and they've patented it for the carbon fiber. Use this carbon fiber. No one cares about the carbon fiber. Everyone knows it has to be carbon fiber, but everyone has to use the same carbon fiber. All the same carbon fiber is bought from the same manufacturer and you all pay the same price. That's what it should be. Stuff like that. You know, things like even like brake pads, brake pads, brake discs, that kind of stuff. They just need to be from one manufacturer because I think they use Brembo and they use somebody else uh, and there's various different compounds. Have different compounds, but Brembo makes them all. Carbon industry, that's the one. Um, Brembo make, you know, but let's make it, Brembo makes them all and they're all of the same, they're all the same quality and they're pulled out. So you don't even get to buy your own, you just, you're sent an amount of brake discs. Different things like that would be useful for the stuff that we don't see and we don't care about. Let them do whatever they want with the aerodynamics of the car because that's the stuff we see and the stuff that you care about. Let them do what they want with the engines. But anything else, you can standardize them. However, the other side of that is for I will go, well, it's not a manufacturer sport anymore. Why are we bother? Same for Mercedes, same for Audi, yeah. same for yeah. any other manufacturer is they will just go, what's the point? Yeah, but that's kind because of, okay, but Alex, that's kind of cool. Win on because, Sunday, sell on Monday. But yeah, so should F1 be constantly just at the mercy of, you know, people trying to sell cars? Yes. Because ah, because it, it always yeah. has been. Is that is that and right? Are you about to argue for the status quo? The Judea's people's front would have big issues with that, Catman. <laughs> I wish I could uh, answer that in the appropriate way. But... <laughs> you better not. <laughs> but no, okay. So the the problem is, this is the same argument that people make that people shouldn't go back to the moon. If you standardize every part on a Formula One car, you won't get the next carbon fiber. You won't get the next traction control, ABS, uh, seat belts. For example, all of these things are invented in Formula One and transferred to road cars. Seatbelts? Yes. I thought Vol- I thought Volvo invented seatbelts. They might. Well, okay, maybe seatbelts was the wrong, three point the- seatbelt. Out, out, look, this is just like one of my quizzes. Three <laughs> out of the four points I made were correct. Are, are vaguely but, correct. <laughs> so anyway, so if you stifle innovation by making a spec series. None of these things have come out of IndyCar, for example. Now, that is a far more entertaining spectacle sometimes, but you won't necessarily Mm. get the same innovation, which is what some of us absolutely love it for. And I'm I'm trumpets will be backing me up. It's true, but the F1 in the olden days had less things to invent and innovate on. F1 now is so complicated that if if you made everything completely open and got rid of the cost cap, teams would be spending four or five times more than they're, they're spending now. And you would, you would definitely always get the Mercedes-style dominance that you got from 2014 to 2020. So, look, as much as a Hamilton fanboy as I am, Mercedes had a massive, massive advantage without the cost cap. Like, they could just throw a thousand engineers... Mercedes wasn't a a race team in the traditional model. Like most people who have... Okay, look, I know it's a small group. Let's find people who worked in Formula One and, say, the defence industry. And, and I, I bet you they would all say that Mercedes operated far more like an industrial engineering firm than a racing team they threw engineers at it they chased five different solutions at a time and it gave them a massive 
massive advantage. F1 is too big now to say, well, you can't spec. You can't restrict the parts you can develop. And F1 is too big now and too complicated, actually, to not have a cost cap. No, absolutely. I'm not suggesting we get rid of the cost cap. I'm just suggesting... Oh, weren't you? Well, where do you... No. So so where do you pin the development? Do you say that of the materials part of it that we have reached our peak? Because I think as a civilization, we haven't reached anywhere near the peak of any of these things. And so Uh, if you you pin back mm. the brightest minds on the planet, which some of these people absolutely are, if you pin them back, then they won't get those trickle-down things. Like a lot of the Williams team innovations in their team goes towards things like healthcare. Or the bus... uh, Okay, so Williams, they did a flywheel that helped buses not have to do a hill start. So a bus can stop on a hill and then go forward. Oh. What what I don't want to do is overplay F1's significance in general engineering. Like all F1 engineers are brilliant, but they work on very, very tight deadlines. So I, ju- I just want to be clear on this, that like leading defense engineers, electronics engineers, you know, uh, you know, all the smart tech that we have, those people have lead times that just dwarf F1 lead times. None of them are working to regulation sets. They can just, they can infinitely work towards greater technology. So I I just, Chris, this is an argument I think you and I have had quite a lot. Like F1 (laughs) is brilliant at tech, but they are not industry leaders in in a broad spectrum of tech. Like the whole, like electronics and defense is not looking around going, well, what's F1 doing? And we must, we must gather that. F1 is very good at very quickly yeah resolving the problems of a specific regulation set for a sport it chops and changes doesn't it because formula one tech has influenced other things influence is fine yeah i mean i i remember a few years ago seeing a whole thing about how the fia had helped developed uh incubators uh, oh during covid the, yeah with no 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 oh. um no, this was well before COVID. This was uh, about ten years ago now, um, and uh, and that was going towards um, yeah the hospitals around the world uh, and uh, using Formula One technology. But of course, Formula One adopts technology from other places, of course, as well. It's it's always going to be a chop and change those those industries because there there is an awful lot of um, crossover. You were right about the ventilators during COVID, though. Is that yeah. a lot of the F one oh, yes. teams were able to very quickly manufacture that sort of equipment yeah. for the hospital. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they they did again <laughs> another example of that crossover saving lives. So I'm so I'm not misunderstood. F1 engineers <laughs> are brilliant, yeah. but they are having to quickly react to a a very a, a, you know a, a changing circumstance. So um uh, the the regulations are changed, they then have to go right what's the best F1 car we can build in this time and then within that and within the budget cap they then have to kind of work towards that. All I'm saying is that other industries who are actually leading specific areas of technology aren't restricted by those same things. It's an artificial restriction around F1 where they kind of go, right, you have to do this quickly. That doesn't mean that F1 doesn't contribute to those things, but they're obviously not going to be the leaders in unrestricted technological areas. 
well, the, the regulation is the most important part of it, isn't it? Because that's you can still make yes, a road car that's that has sport, yeah. more, more, is faster in a straight line than a Formula One car or has more downforce than a Formula One car because they are not bound by technical regulations, only really safety regulations um, and emission regulations these days. But I, I think the question about, you know, uh, stifling innovation in Formula One, what if we had decided 20 years ago that we had... We we had hit the peak of of what we're going to achieve with Formula One and say now now we're going to start standardising a whole bunch of parts. What kind of things would we have missed out on in the last twenty years if we had decided that then? I think you can never say that this is as good as it's going to get because we're constantly coming up with new mad ideas, um, largely these days around uh, you know artificial intelligence. Unfortunately there's going to come a point where this technology is going to start to be used in, in, in Formula One, maybe in, you know, car design or in, uh, it's already being used to develop strategies because uh, the Red Bull sponsor, Oracle, yeah, does something like 300 million simulations in a race to determine what the best strategy for them is. So we, uh, <laughs> me and Matt, in a conversation that can, can never be repeated okay so like we we had access to like software that helped the teams determine when you should pit and what the optimal tire strategy would be and this person said never tell anyone that we showed you this so i've broken that already but i won't tell you who showed us this but it was so clever like you could you could put in any scenario and it would change like about 20 variables and say right, right. This will be your optimal pit window. So, like, you can't uncork the the technological genie, and and tech always drives forward. But there has to be a window in which we say, right, this is the sport. So, surely, Alex, surely there is uh, there is an argument to say our sport is aerodynamics, or this is a suspension sport, or this is a engine sport. You can't under the cost cap, say it's all of those things. You have to pick what kind of sport it is and then everything else should be standardised. No, I, I, I don't like the whole standardised thing. Then no as cost a, cap. Then, then no cost as a, cap. As, no, no, no. I, I agree with the cost cap. It's a case of here is, what is it, 40, 50 million a year, whatever it is, Make the fastest possible car you can with this budget. So nothing, that nothing is the, else. That is the, that is the formula. But I think now, because they have a cost cap, they should open the rules more. The rules shouldn't be as stringent as they currently are when there's a cost cap. You can spend $40 million across this calendar year, this particular date. Make whatever you want. Okay, it's got to be this long by this wide. It has to have these particular safety features, and it has to have four wheels. The rest of it? Go nuts. That would be an exciting formula because we'd go back to the days when the cars all looked vastly, vastly different while people come up with different ideas. Someone might, you know, okay, they might, let's say they allow someone to have a fan car. We might get a fan car. We might get a ground effect <laughs> car. We might get the old style so. 2017 style um, cars with big wings and stuff. And then it's all different. And when a car, when all the cars are vastly different, you will get better racing. No, I disagree with that. Yeah. I think the problem is you get too many dramatic concepts that are so far apart. You'll get one that's like Red Bull at the moment, which are light years ahead of everybody else. And then they'll all converge on that the <clears> next year. <throat> I was quite surprised that the side pods were such a thing with this new regulation set 
after the first year. I assumed they'd all go, oh, well, that's the obviously the best one. So let's all go down that route. I was surprised that Mercedes stuck with their zero pod for so far and that Ferrari still have the buckets. I'd assumed they would all converge on the one that is the best. That's that's what is absolutely astounding to me. It's very interesting to see. It's what Lewis Hamilton wanted, but Mercedes said no. <laughs> well, you know. But the thing with, with the Mercedes one, maybe is the case for the others as well. It's not that they didn't want to change it. They literally couldn't afford to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree with opening up the, the regulations with a reduced cost cap um, because, as you say, the, well, James Allison said it himself. He says, make it our problem and we'll come up with a solution. It was the same he said with that was he was saying that to do with the weight limit. But, you know, with with innovation, it's it's their problem. You say have at it and they come up oh, with something. Honestly, F1 cars now, they're just they're so complicated that there's too many areas to to regulate. So, yeah, it's like, you know, every every everything that 30 years ago was just one thing, suspension, aero now is 10 things. So I think it's impossible to regulate F1 now and say, right, just go, okay, just do whatever you want and go. That series would be unaffordable to most manufacturers. If you and, and, and if you could get people to enter a Formula One where you go, there's no regulations, just make the fastest car around Barcelona, the sport would be awful. And as one of our uh, mess- uh, tweeters mentioned, you would need incredible athletes with, uh, you know, necks that c- could withstand a 10G because you would have cars that could, that could get to a corner and you could have one wheel going at one speed and another wheel going at another speed. Essentially, you would you would end up at a place where each each wheel was driven independently by an electronic motor. It would become skelectric on acid. Like a Nissan GTR. They're brilliant. <laughs> Have you seen the 92 Williams going around yeah, so, uh, the circuit yeah, yeah. in the garage? It's yeah. going up and down, up and down, different yeah. sides. It was amazing, but absolutely was so cool. awful yeah. Yeah. for racing. Yeah. So I think they banned it because other teams couldn't make it work, and it was, it was clearly expensive. the way forward. Yeah. Um, no, no, but it wasn't only because it was too expensive. Ferrari tried it, and the cars kept hitting the floor, and uh, Nigel Mansell didn't want to drive it. Um, there was lots of things that happened with that, which is a case of just mm. people just could not get it to work. And the problem is with an active system, if it doesn't work, yeah. it hits the floor and you're having a big crash. So I think, Chris, we all agree that you do need a regulation set to define where the engineering challenge is. 100%. It's, it's not only a safety thing, but you've got to rein them in at some yeah. point. Otherwise, right. drivers will be wearing G-suits and otherwise people would be passing out from driving these cars. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the other innovations where, you know... the it took a long time to get them to work, like uh, the sequential gearbox. When Ferrari developed that, there was a long time when it wasn't re- the solution that it is now. Mm. And now it is standard on any racing car or any professional racing car that you can that you can get uh, mm. these days. When 25 years ago, there was, oh, the gears are slow and oh, it's clunky. It's not quite working the way wow. it is. And then, yeah. uh, you know, or, or what about when McLaren tried to have uh, two brake pedals? Or when Williams had the CVT gearbox, which had no gears, and it just increasingly got louder and louder and louder as the revs went up. That would have sounded awful, but well, it was fast. Well, well, Chris's example was cheating. So 25 years ago, they tried that. 25 cheating. years ago, though, Chris, you were not born. I was. 
just 25 years ago yeah just i was one mm-hmm. but now you're not only born but we can follow you on a range of social media yes you can yeah it's at chris on racing <laughs> on twitter instagram and tiktok and i'm also on threads but i forget to upload to that all the time yeah threads so, is dead th- th- threads is a thing if you want it to be sort of maybe and- later yeah exactly but go and follow me i make good content you'll enjoy it okay no one else posts thread stuff because we all know that we all signed up to threads just in case and yeah. it, we probably won't need that Catman, it's not died yet chris your bit's finished it's now the vet the vet Catman, chris Catman turner he helped me out when my uh my cat who wants to make friends with every cat in our new area, but all the local cats don't want to make friends with him. And then he got a split in his ear, and now he's got like a war scar. Yeah, I'm Spanners' cat's yeah. psychiatrist, essentially. <laughs> Is he okay? Catman, here's this picture. Yeah. Does my cat seem sad? Exactly. Yeah. Can, can you do some therapy for him? Although I, I must admit, I, and I have to apologise publicly to Alex, because he did ask me twice about the best grooming implement for his cat and i completely ignored him twice well what is it just tell us all now can i can i do product endorsement yeah it's the furminator very much on oh um, yes yes what yeah it's a very good googling that brush. yeah, yeah. Yes, I, awesome. I um i have very fluffy cats so uh, uh one of our moggies is is fluffy but i also have a rag doll so that just like fully pulls. It does sound like an ad now, doesn't it? But it Although pulls... do be careful because you will yeah. make him bald if you do it too much. No. So a bit of Furminator <laughs> is good. Too much Furminator. I have bad. seen I have seen this one. I've got oh, one yeah. that massages him, which he loves because it massages him. It doesn't get much hair off and then eventually gets fighting. This so is what this happens when Matt work. Trumpet takes a holiday. <laughs> okay, so Catman, you can be followed on social media at CatmanF1 on Twitter. Uh, Alex Van Jean, uh, we can follow you. Uh, your name's weird, though, so... It's, it's not weird, it's just spelt in a way. Yeah. Um, which is V-A-N-G-E-E-N, and that is... And I'm just at Alex Van Jean yeah. on TikTok, on X, Twitter, whatever it's called. Yeah. I am on threads, same as Chris, always forget about it. I'm doing more and more on Instagram. Um, I do have Facebook, but I don't accept anybody on Facebook because that's just family. All right, fair enough. And And I'll say now, don't follow me. Don't follow me at Spanners Ready. Don't follow me, Spanners Ready, on Instagram and see the latest video of Vivi singing a Billie Eilish song with mum accompanying on chopping sounds on the chopping board in the background. Don't do that. I don't want that. But if you do, it's all in the show notes below. We will see you most likely for a news show on Wednesday where me and Matt will catch up with all the real news stories. But I'd like to say thank you to everyone who helped us once and for all, fix Formula One. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. 